Hey, look what we have found A big sound in a small town Far away from the bright lights They're making music every night Discover what is all around A big sound something I played over there which is um, I got a hold of these uh, these uh, recordings of Earl jamming with John Hartford yeah John's one of my favorites uh, my favorite one of mine too and it's you know over 200 songs that no one you know recordings no one's heard before sure and he does some really obscure tunes that we've never heard him play before yeah I learned some of the stuff off his fiddle stuff you know he's uh some of those I'll, I got the book and learned. Uh huh. Some yeah. of the obscure stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. So this is. Uh... Are we recording? Yes, we can go. Can we talk here? Yep. We're so, do you want to introduce it or something? Yeah, no, you go here? ahead. You can go ahead. You can, t- you can introduce it, talk about it, whatever you want to do. So this is a tune that comes from recordings of John Hartford and Earl Scruggs jamming uh, from maybe the somewhere from the 80s into the 90s. There are over 200 songs, uh, tunes that we've never heard Earl play before, and versions of tunes that we know by him but have never heard these versions, some really crazy versions of Cripple Creek and sure. other tunes like that. This is one that he says on the recording. Here's a tune, something I'm paraphrasing, but this is a tune that I used to play at square dances when there was no one else but me. I'd play this fiddle tune just when I was a teenager, and it's called Shout Little Lulu. could definitely dance to that. You could dance to that. And and be a solo banjoist and, and be able to dance with that. Yeah, so. it, it just captures my imagination, the idea of a young Earl Scruggs sitting in a square dance in a chair sure. somewhere off to the side, I, playing that by himself. I could see that. I mean, that's a pretty, that's that's an easy visual for me. Yeah, and, me too. And it's a you know, great rendition of it there. I, it's, yeah, uh, it's pretty much note for note the way you played it. Yeah, so. So, I mean, that is really cool. You want to play something else? Okay. Uh, I like this. Cripple Creek. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. When I first got these recordings, I went for the obscure tunes of just something called Chinese Breakdown. Right. Oh, yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah, which Don Reno recorded. But right. Never heard a real play. And after listening to certain of these other tunes, Browns Ferry Blues and just all these other tunes we never heard him record. Right. Or play at live shows. Um, well, here's one that he played. I go... I got a thumb drive with everything listed alphabetically. And um, I'm going down and, what? They recorded that? And I'll play it for you and then see if you can figure out what this is. Um, John starts it off with a fiddle doing the shuffle. Yeah, I can hear that too. Like a fiddle tune, right? You know, very ornate. And then Earl just plays the melody. I hear it now. Yeah. And yeah, I'm working on a new album. I've got 20 tracks recorded because I started transcribing a lot of these tunes and decided I should record this so other people can hear what he plays. So every solo I take is note for note the way Earl played it. And we did this tune also um, with Michael Cleveland playing fiddle. Yeah. And in the record, the jam recording, John Hartford is dancing. Yeah. I mean, it just it is house. It's, sure. There's no audience. Just, right. Just dancing. I got Mark Shess to do the dancing part, and then I got Sam Bush to sing. Here comes the, the bride. Oh, that's pretty Imitating cool. Harry Carey, the voice of the Chicago sure. Cubs. Sure. Yeah. So it's like this bizarre that, that, thing. That's and just then, fabulous. Yeah. Wow. Um, but anyway. So he played Cripple Creek. I started looking at the things I know. Now what did he play on Cripple Creek? And he did this. Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. What's that? Yeah, hey, really. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Not to mention. Yeah, I love that part too. When you when you did that, you know, it's it's like I don't I've never heard that done I know. in, in Cripple Creek. What, what is that? I, the, and the thing is it's a beauty in the simplicity of it. It's easy. Anyone can do this. But no one thought that. about no it. Thought exactly, about yeah. Yeah, which is which is as ingenious as everything else he did. Yeah, and then he did a little version of What's cool is he he um, played Little Maggie five yeah. or six times in these various jam sessions. They're all there, you know. And um, and one of them, he's talking about how, how Ralph Stanley did it. And you don't think about these guys referring to each other. True. But he went like... Uh, so that's 
a Ralph Stanley. Yeah. Right there. It is. It was kind of cool to hear him hear that to hear him say that. Then he did this at one point. He hit that note. Right. Just that one note was like blew me out of the sure. water. Sure. And I listened to all the versions, and he didn't do it on any. He only listen. did it on that one time. One time. And I don't think he missed it. I think he meant to do that. He probably did mean to do that. Uh, that, that yeah, it's it, so deep. It's and so deep. It is, and. And John Hartford could not have been a better person to do that because his stuff is the same way. Yeah. You know, any any fiddle song I ever learned, John Hartford never played it anywhere near like it. Yeah. You know, it was just amazing. Yeah. And so. Earl obviously is doing wildly different versions of these tunes yeah. in some cases. Should I play you one more? Yes. Here's, I, if for nothing else, for me. Oh. I mean, my listeners will love it too, but I'm... Yeah, this is fabulous. So, uh... Somewhere in the 80s, I was in this band called Skyline, and we were playing at the uh, Birchmere. Maybe, we must have been opening up for John Hartford, I can only imagine. I was talking to John afterwards, and he said that he, um, that he uh, was at, some, at one of these jam sessions with Earl, and Earl played Casey Jones. Yeah. And I'd never heard Earl play Casey Jones, and I said, how did he play it? And John played it for me as best he could remember in drop C tuning something like um, something like that and drop C tuning and you know you never associate drop tunings even though he had his own drop tuners but you never really associate uh, 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 different tunings with him. Well, yeah, except he did that. Um, I mean, he did uh, Farewell Blues. True, yeah. But, yeah. tender age of whatever he was at that point, 25, yeah, 26. Yeah. He was doing crazy stuff. Now, speaking of tuning, should I just ramble on as I'm oh, yes. rambulating here? Yes. So um, I was backstage at a Earl show in Missouri 10 years ago, whenever, mm-hmm. maybe longer, I can't remember exactly the year he passed, but, you know, three or four years before he passed. And uh, his stage manager was backstage and said, would you like to play the banjo? And I went, yeah. <laughs> so I go backstage and Earl hands me his banjo. And I start playing it. I'm going to drop some tuning, but uh, ground speed. Right. And Steve Martin was on the show, and so I handed it to Steve. And Steve plays a lot in double C tuning. Steve plays one of his tunes and sounds great. 
And then he hands it back to Earl in double C tuning. And I'd never heard Earl playing double C tuning, ever. On no recording did he ever do that. And he just starts playing. The first part of this is pretty exact, but the second part I'm sort of making up from okay. as well as I can remember. Practice that before or he make it up on the spot? He just played it just perfectly. He probably had played it before. Probably had. And I could see where, where those notes drawn on pretty well for, for that fiddle tune. For that tune, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and but I, that is amazing. And then I, I was talking to Gary Scruggs about it and I said, man, he, he just played double C tuning. He said he would also play out of modal tuning. Earl? So the second string. He would play out of that tune. Right. And the other thing is that the memorial for Earl after he passed over went down to the Ryman with some friends. And we're watching this. I mean, the people are giving talks. Vince Gill, I think, said something. Emily Lou Harris are giving little speeches about sure. Earl. And in between, they had film clips from the Martha White shows. And Earl's playing... Um, Getting the fiddle tune. The fiddle tune with Paul Warren, you know, banjo fiddle duet. Um, and right in the middle of it, Earl starts playing Clawhammer. What? I know. What? I turned to my friend. What? He's playing Clawhammer. We just, you know, right? Yeah. With the picks on, right yeah. in the middle of it, and then goes back to picking. And I talked to Gary about that, and I said, he's playing Clawhammer. He said, I know, he would play Clawhammer, Clawhammer around the house once in a while. Right. And he would also play two finger style. Just like he used to before. The, right, before he had the infamous, exactly. The got in there. He yeah. used to sit around and play two finger style. So he was so deep. It's That's very and deep. Plus all these recordings, yeah. these jams with John Hartford. And plus, well, you know about these, the, the, uh, the Mickey Mouse notebook. Yeah. From uh, We can talk about this, though. Yeah. Yeah, the Mary Beth found. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All this ephemera that came after Gary passed in the last right. time, no one left in the immediate family. It all went to the Earl Scruggs Center. Sure. Mary Beth called me in January and said, I was looking through this, everything, and I found this Mickey Mouse notebook, opened it up, and there in his own handwriting is Earl telling life stories. Yeah, I, I, um, I've actually seen that because I'm associated there, yeah. you know, and, and it, yeah, it's pretty cool, really. Like 60 pages or something. Yeah. I've been sending photos of some of them. And he's talking about his childhood and how you know, he was never, he was always a home loving guy. He never wanted to travel, particularly. Maybe I'd move to Asheville and have a little house with a stream running through it. And, you know, when he was a kid, you know, plowing the fields and he'd be doing finger patterns on the. Yeah, that's, 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 I mean, I've heard those stories, you know, how he, there's, there's, of course, there's thousands of them where, where we live, you know. I mean, everybody has a story of him being somewhere and, and uh, 
you know, using whatever he had there to to work on his roles, work on whatever, you know. Yeah. And it, it weren't always musical instruments. Yeah. You know, so so I mean that tells you it was going in his mind. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he was coordinating it with his. I'm sure he could visualize the fretboard. You know, he was uh, thinking about it while he was doing yeah. other stuff. That's yeah. what he was doing really. Yeah. Yeah. Which and he had a spiritual side too. He, you're familiar with Obi-Wan Kenobi from mm-hmm. Star Wars? Yes. I had an Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, moment with Earl. This was in the early 2000s or something. <clears throat> he was playing in New York City at the B.B. King Theater with, his, with Gary and the rest of the band. And after the show, I went backstage and Gary said, could you hang out with Dad? I have to go get paid and the rest of the band go back right. to the hotel. So I'm hanging with Earl and we're just talking and this woman comes in who works there half drunk and says, I'm here to get paid, and they're not paying me. And she's complaining up and down for like four or five minutes. And I finally just, I was just about to stand up because I didn't want Earl to have to suffer through this right. ranting about her job. And as I'm about to stand up, Earl just looks up at her and says, very nice to meet you. And she looked up and said, very nice to meet you. And she walked out. Uh, that's, a, that's great. I mean, that, that is how the, the droids you're looking for. It was sure. one of those moments. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and that's how to diffuse the situation right that, like that, too. People yeah. just are... Taken with the almost the kindness of the gesture. Yeah, you know, here you're all that. upset, and then <laughs> you just said that and diffused the whole thing. So. That is an Obi Wan Kenobi uh, yeah. moment, without a doubt. I'll play one more thing. Sure, I played to Casey Jones. Yes, with the drop C tuning. Yes, but on these recordings, he's playing out of G tuning up here. Um, sorry. with your knowledge of, of Earl's playing because yours has been quite different. You're you know? stumbling for words like, it's crazy weird New York music. Oh, no, oh, it's, no, it, no it's kind yeah. of true. I, I'll never forget. I, I went to audition for a band and there, there was a guy and he was playing chromatic style, which you're pretty famous for. I mean, I mean, you probably set that standard for every chromatic style banjo player. Well, me and Bill Keith. And well, Bill Keith, too, yeah. maybe. But, yeah. yeah. But so he comes in, and I've been around Scruggs players, you know, and, and we play a couple of tunes, and I just stop and go, you know, where would you learn to do that? And he said, oh, there's this guy, Tony Trishka. He said, nobody knows who he is. You know, and this would, this would have been 50 years ago because I'm an old guy, you know. And, wow. and he, said, um, he said, I've seen him play around, and, I, you know, I, I really – would like to emulate his style and and you know he said i dig for all the information about that um and i saw him not too too long ago and i knew you were going to be here and he said well if you see him ask him did he go did he go to japan one time with uh richard green and, yes. and peter owen yep. and he knew that and wow. and how he That's knew obscure. that yeah <laughs> how was that 
actually. Was that fun? It was really fun, yeah. I'd never been to Japan before, and, you know, you fly to, I think we flew to L.A. Two, two people to go with, too. Yeah, and it was me and Roger Mason. I had a band called Breakfast Special that I was in in 73 to 75, and Andy Statman, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I know. Andy was in the band, and Roger Mason was our bass player, and the three of us went over there. We were called the Three Fellas. Oh. It was Richard Green, Peter Rowan, and the Three Fellas. Oh, the Three oh. Fellas. So, so, so you were the Three Fellas backing band for them? Backing band, and we, we recorded two albums while we were over there, ah. which were compiled on a um, Sugar Hill album for Peter. Okay. But one was mostly Richard's album, the other was mostly Peter's album. And bluegrass is really big. This was, I think, 1978. Well, and it, bluegrass is big in Japan. You know, we're playing 1,000 seat, 1,500 seat right. theaters, and we get off the bus, off the van, out of the van, and all these people are taking pictures of paparazzi and people handing us their cards. And, That's cool. And you go to the record stores in Tokyo and Osaka, and they had all these. Decca was releasing all these albums that were not available in America with tunes of Bill Monroe's and Flatten's Crones. Sure things that were only on 78s and had not been released right. in America yet. So we brought these, these old albums back. That's really cool. Bill Monroe we'd never heard before. I have a friend in Shelby who has a bed and breakfast out of his band's old tour bus and it's near, it's near Earl's property. And once a year, a Japanese contention comes, stays in his tour bus, yeah. goes over there and he has a recording studio. They go, and they are fine bluegrass players i mean yeah, they're 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 really pl- fine players i mean you know when when he, i was over there he has a recording studio there too and i was over there doing some recording work and they came in and they said can we play some bluegrass and I, yeah so and i was surprised at how good they were okay. and and uh, they had you know fairly broken uh english but they could sing bluegrass songs in in you know i mean they could cover most of earl Old Flat and Scruggs catalog, you know, and it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah it, was, it was amazing. Yeah, well, I think it was the first time, I was, I've been over there three or four times. The first time I was there in Tokyo, we went to a place called Rocky Top. It was a club, a bluegrass club. They call Rocky Top. Called Rocky oh, Top. Oh, that's cool. In Tokyo. And we go in there, and there's this Japanese bluegrass band playing. And this woman, who was the lead singer, was like unbelievable. She sounded like, not quite, but almost like Carter Stanley. Oh, wow. She didn't speak English, but she did <laughs> phonetically. Right, yeah, oh yeah. It was just like truly amazing. Yeah, I bet that was truly yeah, amazing. Amazing experience. Can I just see who this is? Sure, go ahead. No. Because it may be our band, and I've got to do sure. a lot of logistics for the shows tomorrow. Let me just see if that's who's calling here. Edit this out. Yeah, I can edit it out without a problem. Pardon the interruption. That's not a problem. Yeah, let me just give Michael a quick one. Sure, go ahead. Cleveland's playing with us. Not too shabby. No, not too shabby. No, not at all. Uh, let me just... Here we go. Hey, Michael. Hey, man. I'm in the middle of an interview here. But No, I interviewed... It, I, I interrupted for you. I think it's probably going to be a little later. I think they're getting in around 6.30, and they probably want to grab a bite. I think it'll be closer to 8 before we actually get to do this. 
Yeah. Yeah, let's shoot for eight, and I'll call you if it if it changes, because um, we got a lot to rehearse. And um, so, yeah, so yeah, let's shoot for eight, and I'll keep you posted as we get closer to it. Thanks, Michael. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye bye. Yeah, that's a fabulous player. It's unbelievable. It is. Um, uh, also, you've been out touring here of late with um, different different. Uh, lineup patting you than than uh, what you would normally associate with you, right? I mean, have you been with uh, Brittany Haas? Some Brittany Haas, Haas I've been playing with for many years at different times. I mean, she, what happens? All these people go from the uh, Berkeley College of Music. Yes, they, then they moved to Brooklyn, New York, and then yeah. they moved to Nashville, and we've lost them. True, but uh, she was actually going to um, Princeton for a while. And then moved to uh, Brooklyn for a little while. But even then, you know, when she was living in Boston, and even when she's in Nashville, sometimes I call call on. Yeah, her. I mean that's that's she's fabulous too. She's unbelievable. She is. She's she really unbelievable. is. And she's going to be on this new album that I've been recording. Oh, that's everybody good. on there. That's well, I mean that's the way to go. I mean you can. I mean you have that at your access. So yeah, you should definitely do that. And Michael's on there. He plays triple fiddles on. Uh, the tune. Oh, Freight Train Blues. Oh, There's Triple John Feet. John and do Freight Train Blues. Yeah. Oh, that's and, cool. And I went to, I, I want to listen to, it's just the two of them playing it. And I found this Roy Acuff, one of the original versions from like 1939. And he starts with um, the band going, chum, 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 chum. Oh, that's cool. He does the train starting. And there's some crazy harmonica player playing amazing stuff in 1939. And so Michael tried to, Michael Cleveland, there's a triple fiddle solo on there. To, to emulate that? Easy with triplets. And That's cool. That is really cool. Yeah. yeah. I got Dudley Cannell to sing it. Which is oh, yeah. That Dudley? Nice yeah. He's, uh, I guess his voice is still very good. Oh, it's as good as ever. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, you never know after. With bluegrassers, my thing is, do you have to drop? That's one of the first things I ask bluegrass players as you eight or older ones. Or have you had to drop, you know, a half a step, right. a step maybe. Yeah. And uh, some of them do, but a lot of them don't. I mean, a lot of the really fine ones still can do it in the keys that they started it off with. Yeah, to my ears, Dudley sounded as good as ever. Well, that's good. I mean, I mean, he always sounded good, so, oh, yeah. so that's really good. Yeah. Did, did a bluegrass instrumental record, uh, did that sit you, you kind of off and running? Did you do a bluegrass instrumental record early I, I did an album called Hill Country, which was all instrumental in traditional style. I wrote all the tunes except for one. But I, I wanted to Is people to know I can play bluegrass too. Right. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's pretty cool to be able to do both. It's the people that can play. Uh, you know, there are people who can play good uh, uh, three finger and claw hammer. Right. Um, yeah. Which is two totally different things that's really a different thing yeah it, it, it really is uh but uh, uh that's really cool so is that project going to come out soon do you well yeah um we're hoping for a january release for rose birthday oh that's cool to be his 100th birthday and that would be good that would be uh, so we're shooting for that it's a new label started by the original rounder records folks 
Ken Irwin and Marion Layton and Bill Allen, and then they started a new label called Down the Road. Okay. So it's going to be one of their first releases, and um, it's, as I said, I've recorded 21 songs so far, and we're going to add a few more, and then uh, we weren't sure if it was going to be a double album or one, sure. it, it turns out it'll be one in January, and then one nine months or a year Oh, later. yeah, right. So you're going to make it two out of it. Yeah, make two albums out of it because we've done, I've got Dell and the boys on, on three tunes, Dell and the boys on two, and then he sings on the third one that Brittany House plays on. We've got Vince Gill on a tune, um, Billy Strings plays a couple of tunes, yeah, and uh, Molly Tuttle's on there. Sure, fabulous players, both, both of them. Not too shabby players. And you know, those young people will take Billy and Molly, Yep. They're excellent for bluegrass. I mean, that that's how you keep the next generation involved. Yep. I Before you were here today, I had three young girls who had played out here, and they were young. And uh, they had learned through the bluegrass, the yam or, or jam yep. program. They came yep. up through that. And they were really fine uh, players. I mean, I was so impressed. And if they're 20, you know, I'm 50. So, you know, I mean... Uh, and you know, it's impressive that young people are keeping bluegrass and banjo alive. Yeah, it's so true. And uh, people like Billy Strings, I mean, he'll do the jamming sort of thing sure. with bluegrass instruments, and then uh, he'll play Little Maggie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Head. He kills it. He's he so keep, great. He is. He, you know, and I hear a lot of the old heads complain about Billy, and it's like, no. I, I heard got, the same thing. He can really play. He's on Bela's. No, sure. You know, well, you know, and I, I heard people say the same thing about Newgrass, so, you know. Yeah. You know, are they going to run it? You know, it's like, no, you got to do that to keep it alive. Exactly. You know? It's got to go somewhere, and that's what Earl was doing. So. Yeah, it is. And that is one of the things, too, that I really always liked and admired about Earl is there's a lot of different music. You know, he didn't just play bluegrass. He, he played a little of everything, you know, particularly when he was with his sons. I mean. Yeah, he really stretched out. And uh, on these jam tapes, uh, they do Lady Madonna. Yeah. Lady Madonna. Really? Yeah. Really? Which That's is probably, crazy. Uh, I also, you know, I transcribed the solo on that. Right. It's also going to be on the album with the Gibson Brothers ah. singing that. And, yeah. Um, it just kind of rolls across the chords, but they're doing Lady Madonna. So Wow. Why yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, because that is different, without yeah. a doubt. They're just sitting around jamming. Hey, what do you want to play? Oh, let's do Lady Madonna. Okay. But... It, they must have worked on it because he knew all the chords. I actually found a, re- a live recording of him with Earl Scrubs Review, and they played it on there. Yeah. So he must have. Well, I think his son, kind of like Dale's son, had a big influence on him, at, you know, as they grew up. Yeah. I think he paid attention and, and you know, it, just like Dale, and I, he's, he embraced, which is also sometimes hard to get the older end to embrace but he did. Yeah. Earl did. Dale has. I yeah. mean, and, and, and that's key, I think. And that's why Dale is such a big name, because I used to see him in the 60s. Yeah. Late 60s, we drive down to Binghamton, New York, or somewhere in some obscure country music park in in, uh, in Pennsylvania. There were like 30 people there, and Dell sounded like Dell. He was great. Yeah. I, I used to tell people that I know you're a bluegrass fan when you acclimate yourself to Dale. You know, a lot of people... You know, a lot of people on first hearing of Dale, it's, it's like that's like that's too bluegrass. Yeah. But then, but then you you know, then I said, just listen, just listen for a while, keep your mind open, yeah. and then when you do, you know, it's, it's maybe an acquired taste. I don't know, 
But once you get that taste, it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, um, I was with a person in Telluride, and, she, and I, could, I could hear Dale as we were coming up, and, and uh, they said, uh, that guy's got an awfully high voice. <laughs> and I said, yeah, he does. I said, just, just listen, you know, just listen. Just pay attention and listen. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're diehard fans now. Yeah. But, well, uh, the first album of Flatten Scruggs I had was Folk Songs of Our Land. Well, because of Louise, and she was always you know, positioning them, and that's why they were so successful because she positioned them to do what would be commercial. Sure. And I think the Stanley Brothers did uh, Bluegrass Hoop Nanny or something called that. Yeah. But anyway, Flatten Scruggs, um, you know, I mean, I got into Flatten Scruggs, and Lester's voice is a little more acceptable. Yes. And then, you know, from there I could do Bill Monroe. Okay, yeah, I got, I got this. Yeah. And then it took a while to get to the Stanley Brothers. But, did did you grow up playing Scruggs style? Because yours is so different. I mean, so, did something else influence you? No, I mean, I started, I had a, my teacher, was, his name was Hal Glatzer, and uh, I was at a hootenanny at Syracuse University. I grew up in Syracuse, New York. And I had a previous teacher, my parent, you know, I wanted to play the banjo. My parents found someone who was a teacher. He was more of a folk singer, played right. guitar, but he played a little claw hammer, and he, I, I just didn't get it. And I, right. And it was like a claw, like, uh, and it's not what I wanted to play anyway. Right. And then I went to this hoot nanny, and there was this duo there. And the guy's playing bluegrass banjo. And said, That's it. But anyway, I started taking lessons from him. His name is Hal Glatzer. He's still a friend and still lives in New York City these days. And um, the first thing he showed me was Eric Weisberg's version of Eric Weisberg being the guy, the yeah. actual banjo player, right. doing banjos. Sure. Yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah. And uh, his version was something like. But then you took it almost, I mean, I don't know, did you listen to jazz or something growing up? Uh, no, not particularly, but, uh, you know, I mean, this was 63, 64, but then, you know, I was a child of the true, 60s. True, the yeah. Beatles and, yeah. you know, Brian Wilson's visionary stuff with the Beach Boys right. and Frank Zappa and Jefferson Airplane and everything. And I was a big Aaron Copeland fan, so sure. classical music got in there. Right. But I entered. I went to the very first uh, three-day bluegrass festival in Fincastle, Virginia, in 1965. And uh, there was a banjo contest there, and the judges were Ralph Stanley, Bill Emerson, and Lamar Greer, who was playing Bill Monroe at that Yeah, time. All, all, all really good banjo players. Yeah. And that, they were the judges. And so I got up there and did a version of Nine Pound Hammer with this friend of mine who was playing guitar, something like that. I love that. I mean, that's. I threw that in there. And again, know your judges. Oh. Really? And the guy who won was the young guy who played fucking Mountain Breakdown. And, for no. No, for no. And, and that's the thing about contests. You know, they're about 
emulation, not so much about um, really playing. Playing. I mean, I mean that's wonderful, and that is the type of thing that drew me to your playing was that it was going to be different notes, you know. And I, I had a friend who just turned me on, you know, at a there again that was close to 40 50 years ago you know and and he um he was right i mean it was you know oh no it's not like scruggs it is but it's not you know and and that's what it is right there i mean how you get that how you heard that i don't know like it's the same thing like what earl heard i mean it's just a different version a little different than earl heard yeah. but you know <laughs> yeah 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 which is which is a beautiful thing i mean uh yeah my fingers just sort of fell there oh that's you just sort of go off you, you kind of remember the finding moment when you hit that and thought oh yeah this is good i'm keeping this yeah i kind of like that yeah why i play why I thought I could play that at a straight at Bluegrass Festival is Ralph Stanley is one of the judges. You think you're actually going to win with that? I think not. No, I don't think so either. Well, Larry McNeely was there, and Eric Weisberg and Marshall Brickman did an album called New Dimensions in Banjo and Bluegrass, which has been repackaged as the soundtrack to Dueling Banjos for some reason. And they do a version of um, Shuckin' the Corn on that yeah. album, and they start kind of the standard. Marshall Brickman does something like he goes. Uh, something like that. He just, yeah, that's beautiful. I mean. and, and Larry McNeely played that very nicely at the, uh, at the contest again. Again. He didn't win either, did he? <laughs> they probably weren't getting into that too much, but I remember that too. So, yeah, anyway, just fun stuff. Uh, that is fun stuff. I mean, and that it does make it stand apart. You yeah. Know? And and that is that is a wonderful thing. I mean, I think you have to have that too. Yeah. You know, it's it's the difference between uh, classical musicians and people who, I mean, and and playing things verbatim the way that the person plays them is is a beautiful thing, but your own creativity and and innovation is also. A, very beautiful thing. Yeah. And you, you had a ton of it early on in your life. I, I take it. Yeah, well, I'm in the Earl mode now, but I still do other things too. So I'm so, you know, I'm in more, more in love with Earl Scruggs music now than I've ever been. I'm just I, discovering I can tell. all these new things. I'm just well, on fire for it. Yeah, that's, well, I kind of did the same thing with John Hart for fiddle tunes because they were, he had a whole, he's got a whole thing that he's released of his fiddle, fiddle tunes that transcribed that oh, art. Yeah, the book. book. Yeah, the it's book. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. And it's it's um, there again. I kind of got a renewed interest in in him too. You know, so and and he's he's a fine banjo player too. Oh yeah, wonderful know. banjo player. And and a kind of bizarre, different type of banjo player himself. I'll play one of his tunes if I may. Yeah, I'd love it. a band in New Jersey I can't remember their name now but I was sit, I sat in with them once or twice they were like a jam band they had a really good drummer and you know they played around locally and I played with them a few times and then they said you know we're doing this festival out in Boise, Idaho would you like to come out and I was thinking about it and they said Vassar Clements is going to be playing fiddle with us yeah I'm, I'm, I'm in <laughs> yeah I'm in yeah, I'm, I'm in, in. yeah exactly so I was going to meet them out there so I fly to Salt Lake City to switch plans to get to Boise 
and the, and I hear banjo and, and mandolin coming from the gate where I'm going to be leaving from. What? Because I thought I was going to like this rock festival or something. Right. And, uh, and I hear someone say, Tony Trushko, Tony Trushko. I look over and there's John Hartford. Oh. And it was his band, and they were going to be there. It was more of a bluegrass festival. Right. Now. And so we're at the gate, the Delta Gate, and John takes out his fiddle and starts playing fiddle tunes. I grab my banjo, and we play fiddle tunes at the gate for like, with him and his band for like 20 minutes. Oh, that's great. And then, you know, and everyone's kind of watching, and then uh, a Delta representative comes over, and we thought she was going to put the kibosh on the whole thing. She says, if you'll keep playing, uh, we'll upgrade you to first class. <laughs> You're going to keep playing anyway, so we play first class. Oh, that's great. And at the festival, John was, you know, he was, he was actually in a wheelchair. He was, you know, not well at this point, but he was still traveling and still doing it. And um, he got, he was standing up there playing. And he played mostly fiddle tunes, but he played one banjo tune, which I'd never heard him do before, called Foggy Mountain Landscape, I want to call it. I think it's that. And you can find it on YouTube. got the Keith tuner here. Sure. But he's doing this by ear. I mean, you just did it by, by ear, too. Yeah. It's hard to keep it tuned. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's some pretty big, there was some pretty big twist in there. I mean, yeah. you know, we're not talking, we're not talking dropping in a step, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean that's uh yeah. I was watching him from back. It was an open stage, and I watched him play that. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? And I had to learn it. I came back the next year to the same festival and said, do you have a tape of that show? He said, yeah, here. And he hands it to me, the oh. promoter. And I just, it, he does some other stuff, too, but that's the essence of it. And then, you know, I had some of my own stuff in there up here. But it's, he starts up here. And this is a Snuffy Jenkins move. Fret of the first two strings, yeah. then you had the thumb on the fifth string, 12th fret. So I'm doing this sort of modern John Hartfordy sort of thing, and then you get a little Snuffy Jenkins in there. There you go. That's... <laughs> and it's cool. I was just uh, going down a rabbit hole on YouTube, which I don't do very often because it can take away your whole Oh, life. I know it can. I, 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 
sometimes I fall into that uh, if I'm bored and then I realize I've gone past being bored that I got <laughs> other stuff I need to do. But uh, yeah. so I guess transcribing is a pretty big part of your life then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, if I hear something I would really want to learn. I, so there's this, uh, I find this Snuffy Jenkins live radio show from 1948 that Butch Robbins posted. Yeah. With a steel guitar player on there doing Farewell Blues. Yeah. And Snuffy plays all of the chords that a rule does, you know. All right. I mean, it's a little different. It's not with all the syncopation. Right. But I transcribed that just to see what he was playing. It's just like Matt Wilbright uh, was with, I'm forgetting the name of the group he was with. I think Charlie, I named Charlie Parker, not the sax player. Right. I, I may be wrong about that. But anyway, Matt Wilbright was a banjo player who visited the Scruggses. Mm-hmm. According to Earl, he, he'd come to their house. And he plays uh, on this recording. It's called The Man Who Wrote Home Sweet Home Never man who wrote Home Sweet Home never was a married man. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's funny. It's exactly yeah. a great title. But, no, uh, but, it's a funny title, though. Mac Wolverine plays, uh, plays our Home Sweet Home on that. And he does a lot of backward rolls. It's not note for note the way Earl did, but a lot of backward rolls. Not quite. Mm-hmm. But he goes, you know how Earl goes? Right. Mac Wolverine does that exact same thing. I think on the fifth string. He does that exact same thing. That's crazy. So you have to believe that Earl, Earl got that from from um, Matt Wilbright. And then, just speaking of Snuffy, and, and just the fascination, like, here's how Snuffy played the Farewell Blues. Sure. Not that different from the way Earl played it. And sure. It influenced too, because they hung out together. Um, but uh, I interviewed Snuffy twice. And, and the first time for this book I wrote called The Banjo Songbook since I was going down a stuffy rabbit hole, I wanted to see what he said. Now, I hadn't looked at the book in years. But what did he say in this interview? What I found fascinating was, and I asked Earl about this. Yeah. About the Sally Gooden position, yep. you know. Right. Where did you, you know, I said, where did you get that position from? Did you make that up? And he said, no, I, I don't know. He said he didn't know where he got it from. But I know Snuffy was playing it. In this interview with Snuffy, Snuffy says he got it from Smith Hammett. Yeah, which... Who was there, him and Rex sure. Brooks were in that area. Right, they were, yeah, up. they were. Yeah, and so he got it from Smith Hammett, which I thought was really cool. It's really cool, it is really it cool. It goes back that far, Bar- where did Smith Hammett go get it from? So, yeah, you wonder. Yeah. Hmm. And um, the second time I interviewed Snuffy, I asked him to play Sally Good, and then he played it very close to the way Earl played it. Ah, and I also asked him to play Dear Old Dixie. Yeah. Because he, um, you know, I, I knew he had played it. He said it's an old vaudeville tune or something like that mm-hmm. with lyrics. And, uh, but here's how Snuffy played it, pretty close to this. things. Yeah, it's those little things, exactly. And the end. That's, um, yeah. It's a big old banjo world out there. It is. And 
that's funny too that uh, if people sometimes want to oversimplify a banjo and it's probably one of the most complex instruments in the world you know well, just having that fist string up there, that yeah, weird fist string. It is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's always been weird. You know? <laughs> it's almost like the way they tune on a ukulele with their strings weird, yeah, too. High yeah, high, exactly. high string on top. Yeah, high string on top. That's always, you know, those are just contrary to what you've been used to playing if you started on a different instrument. Right. But if you never started on a different instrument, and, of course, I know that you play other instruments. Earl played, you know, Earl's a fine guitar player. Fine guitar player. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it is kind of different. I, I'm a harmonica player, and I go back, way back, uh, and kind of undo what people did, you know, which is kind of fun for me too. It's kind of a similar type of thing. It's a ten-hole instrument that yeah. is way more complex and complicated than what people ever want to oh. believe it is. Look what Howard Levy's done with it. Yeah, Howard's great. Yeah, yeah, Howard. Howard is great. I, I've met and talked with Howard a couple of times, and he's just amazing. Yeah, he, he he really is ridiculous. And oh well, playing with Bela, and I guess uh, so. You did you? Is it true you taught Bela to play? I was his third teacher. His first teacher was a guy named Eric Darling, who was with the Weavers after Pete Seeger left. Okay. Uh, and then after that, a guy named Mark Horowitz, M-A-R-C, Mark Horowitz, who uh, lived in Staten, still does live in Staten Island, New York, and. Um, he was getting him into fiddle tunes and scrug style, and then Bela somehow got a hold of my first album. He was like 16 at the time, something like that, and wanted to learn some of those weird tunes. Sure. I mean, I can see that. I mean, I mean, it kind of defines, you can see your stuff all in his stuff, you know? At various times, I guess, you know, he certainly took it to the moon, but, um, and so he wanted to learn some of my tunes. He asked Mark Horowitz, his second teacher, to learn some of these tunes and teach it to him. And it's like a pain in the butt to have to learn my stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. Normal. And Mark, I don't know, for two or three lessons, maybe he worked this stuff out for the next week. And just forget it. Just take lessons from Tony. He lives in New York. Right. I was living up in the Bronx, a block from Yankee Stadium at the time. And this kid calls up and I'm Bela Flack. I like to take some banjo lessons. And and uh, didn't last too long because, you know, he, he would asked me to play some, some Little Maggie or some straight-ahead tune and just jam out on it for three minutes. Then he would come back the next week playing it all note for note, transcribed <laughs> every... He must have spent hours working on this stuff. That's, uh, and I showed him some of the weird stuff I was doing. And then, you know, we just ended up jamming because it was like, you don't need lessons anymore. Me? And then he moved to Boston and started playing with a group called Tasty Licks. Mm-hmm. Pat Enright was with him. Yeah, I know Pat. Band. Yeah, I know He Pat. was in that band, the second incarnation of that band. And he said... You better learn some scrug style because I, I was. He can play scrug style. Oh, he sure can. I just was delinquent. I mean, Mark had shown him some. He could play some. But I would have. I was very early on in my teaching career. I would have done much more scrug style. Okay, yeah, I'll show you some of this stuff, but you got to get some of the scrug stuff in your fingers. But he want he wanted the the, wanted the progressive stuff. Sure, he did, and I can understand that too. I mean, it's what he does. I also there's a Cleveland County banjo player, uh, Brian McMurray. Brian plays with a band, Acoustic Syndicate, okay. and they've toured all over. They they are not touring now, but he has a lot of your playing in his style, and he is a he is a different banjo player. Um, he's probably the most underrated banjo player uh, around, and he is just um, there's a lot of your style in his, and he he also came. 
he grew up listening to rock music and all, and that's why his stuff went the way it does, I think. Right. And he can play Scruggs, but he never does. I mean, you know, because he never has an opportunity. He has a, his band plays non-Scruggs type stuff. And right. and I, I could see that happening with Bela, too. Um, however, then he did hook up with Sam, and you do have to play some of that. To, yeah. I used to think, there's a venue here, and you might know Steve Metcalf. I know Steve Metcalf yeah. very well. Yeah. yeah, Green Acres, you know. Green Acres numerous times sure. in the 80s. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I saw you play there, you know. All so the peacocks and everything. Yeah, yeah. So I played – I played there and gone to a ton of concerts there, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's just. Um, He's a great guy. He is a great guy. Great I, I appreciate you doing this. I know you're a busy man, got a lot going on, but this was actually one of my, I've done, I don't know how many of these, a ton of them, and this was actually one of my very favorite ones. Because you. you put a different side. Uh, I had Allison Brown here last year. She has a different take on banjo. Also, she's amazing. She's so great. And and uh, uh, yeah, yours was wonderful. I mean, you just broke down a lot of really cool stuff here. I, I'll play you one more thing. I should mention about Allison. We have this. Uh, I have this online banjo school. I guess this is a plug. Sure, um, plug anything you want to. Online banjo school and um, for artless company, Artist Works, and then. I was the first one. I've been doing it for like 12 years now. And then five or six years ago, they added Noam Pekelny yeah, the same co- with the same company. So sure. two of us. And then just in the last four or five months, they added Allison Brown. Yeah. So there's three of us that are all teaching banjo through artist work. So if anyone wants to. Oh, that's pretty and, cool. And, 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 I mean, I haven't seen all of I haven't seen Allison's yet, but I know in all of our cases, we start like, here's how you hold the banjo. Sure. So it's that simple. Just yeah. absolutely basic. And it goes all the way to very that's, that's really good. And I've got interviews with over 50 people on there. Oh, Will that's cool. And Bela and Sonny Osborne and yeah. Alice Brown sure. and BB. Uh, uh, anyway, um, just a whole bunch of folks. Well, Allison was really, really tickled because the thing I asked I ask her actually about banjo. She's nobody ever asked me about banjo. I ask her about her strings or picks. Right. You know, she oh, nobody ever asked me that. And they really just asked me about the record company. Right, exactly. You know, it's like, well, I... He is a great banjo player, so let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah, and, and people, I, I, they, again, I, I do this out of the Scrug Center, so there's people who understand and know banjo, and they like they like, like to know banjo stuff, strings, picks, you know, which wouldn't fly in a lot of places and in a lot of interviews, but then I have a kind of an eclectic audience also. Right. Most are minor musicians, so... yeah. Not everyone wants to hear about, okay, I've got an 11 on the first and fifth. Oh, grade, yeah, they, on the yeah. Second, yeah. Yeah, I, most people don't, you know. But I, I'm not crazy about that. I, I get into those conversations once in a while, but it's yeah. about, kind of about the music. So um, I got a hold of this recording of Flat Scruggs at the Ashgrove in L.A. from 1962, and Earl and uh, Cousin Jake, Jake Tullick, based, yeah, in, sure. based in banjo duets. And I'd heard them do uh, Darlin' Pal of Mine, which one of the tunes they would do, and they would go off you know, Earl, and then Jake would do some slap bass, et cetera, et cetera. And in this one, um, this recording from the Ashgrove, they do a second tune that I'd never heard before, bass banjo duet, and it turns out it's called you, know, you Can't Stop Me From Dreaming. And when they release the full Carnegie Hall album, it turns out it's on there also. Oh, okay. But th- there's an ending that he does in one of these Martha White shows when he plays it that just blew me away. So it goes, the tune goes. 
crazy. I, I didn't know where you were going with that. I, I, I honestly thought that that was going to be um, just a part, my middle part. You know, I thought you were going to, that's, that's crazy. That's that great. Do you know why he did that? Uh-uh. What's the bass to a poem? Oh, yeah. Okay. I got you. He's they were doing the bass. The yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Yeah. That's great. That, that is just, that is super. F to F minor. In there oh, he's there. got so many of those in there. That's just, that's just crazy stuff. One time I was talking to him and he, he just said, you know what I think I brought to the banjo was syncopation. Yeah, I think he no did. did anything like that before he did. You know, like, syncopation is the hardest part of his style really more than anything else oh yeah which i think is lost on a lot of people that you know and, and when a lot of people think they're playing it close they really don't have the syncopation quite right too you know yeah, yeah. it's very subtle stuff like chucking the corn yeah that's hard i mean that's really hard to get right and he's playing it three times, three three measures of C. The rest of the band's playing two measures of C. Yeah, which so is. I don't want to play three measures of C on the original recording. <laughs> That's just, I mean, there again, this is. It's endless. Funny. It's just endless. I, I did an interview with this guy, uh, Dan X. Paget. Dan used to replace, according to Dan, uh, Earl when Earl would go on vacation and all. He was out doing the. Uh, they were going to do the Beverly Hillbillies because they taped all that like in right. one time. Dan said, well, I was the banjo player when we went out there, but Earl came back from vacation just to do it. And uh, he said they did it, and when they got through, he said, here, you can have my tie from uh, uh, the Beverly Hillbilly show. I'm going back on vacation. Wow. So, so when his wife, went, when uh, Earl died, Louise gave him a pristine one that had not, that. They gave them like maybe three because that four because they would tape long and it would get makeup all over it. Right. And um, uh, he had, she brought him a pristine one because he was there that day. And uh, I got to see it. It was pretty cool. You know, me, I would have rather had one of the ones with the makeup on me it. Me too. That, that, that pristine one. Ones. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's like um, uh, uh, Sonny Terry is a big harmonica player, and oh, yeah. I have one of his harmonicas. And it's one he played a lot, and it's beat all the pieces. But I did not. Yeah. I have done tribute shows out of the Royal Scruggs on, because he spent time growing up in Shelby. Yeah. And uh, in fact, not too long ago, they put uh, they have a display, uh, an exhibit of Sonny Terry stuff, and I did um, at the Earl Scruggs. Yes, and I, and I did I did the Sonny Terry. Uh, we did a tribute to him, and I played Sonny's part. But I'm pretty proud of my mashed up Sonny Terry uh, harmonica um, that um, you know it's uh, the DNA is on that stuff just like and, and it would have been the same way with the tie I would rather you know I would I would rather have your picks than, than, than 
than someone give me a, the picks that you played the, in a box that you never opened. Right, you know? of course. You want, the, I mean, you want the DNA. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, it's the, it's the stuff that you know was used. And Earl's got a banjo up there uh, that I don't know how much he ever played. Um, it's a beautiful banjo, but I don't know. You know. It makes you wonder how much he played it because I, do, how many different banjos do you play? How many do I play? Yeah, different ones. I have I have 19 banjos. I'm about to be given a 20th banjo. Right. Horowitz called me, you know, yeah. Bela's second teacher. Sure. He's been working on the Bela model for gold tone. He yeah. It's a replica, right. supposed replica of Bela's banjo. And he, he called me up I don't know, a month and a half ago and said, you, know, you were one of Bela's teachers. You should have one of these banjos. Right. So That's cool. Lovely thing that they're going to give me this Bela banjo anyway. Is that That'll the one? Be the 20th one. Is that the one you play the most that you have in your hands there? This one, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this band. Yeah, I can see where where you would. And, yeah. You know, it's one of those that you have a lot of instruments, but everybody has the one that they like the best. And I can see why you would like that one. You know, yeah. sounds good too. I mean, beside yeah. being gorgeous. Yeah, no, it's, they, they make a really good banjo, and um, well, I've got I've got a banjo from 1882 and nylon strings on and. Got a replica of a minstrel or a banjo. Oh yeah, tuned down to D. Yeah. and I've got a gourd banza. Yeah, that's cool too. And uh, I've got a Deering Vega uh, with nylon strings. One of them, right? Century. Yeah. So I've got different. Right. I've got a national banjo, one of a kind. Wow. A national guitar company, yeah. but it's a banjo. That's cool. So I do some slide on that sometimes, and uh, it's just never ending. No, it's it is never ending. ending. You know, it's um. Uh, yeah, that is a fine one there, though, that you, you have. It's kind of cute. Yeah. Should I play one last thing? Sure. You've checked out D. Ford Bailey, I'm assuming. I love him. I, I learned Fox Chase when I was like 10 years old. I wrote a, a, a Fox Chase tune myself because I when I heard him do that. Yeah. In this, in this film from the 50s, I was like, i got to write my own Fox Chase. Yeah. He's, he's loomed large in my life. Oh, yeah. He's loomed large, real large in my life because it was one that I could only get the Grand Ole Opry in a black station out of Memphis, Tennessee when I was um, growing up. So I, I was pretty determined as a child growing up that I was going to be a blues harmonica player for my living. That was my whole aspirant, that and Tarzan. So, you know. Big influence. Yeah. So, so and, and it turns out I, I played a lot of blues, but, it, but you know, it's... um. But yeah, D. Ford was big. I, I would tune in just to hear him really more than the rest of the opera. Yeah, which was which was cool. It was really cool. I couldn't wait for that. I don't know if this is true. I, I heard a story that because he obviously couldn't come into the sure. white hotels mm-hmm. in the south, and Bill Monroe he'd be on package shows with Roy Acuff and Bill Monroe. Right. And the story I was told, but apparently by a nephew or something like that of the Ford Bailey, told it. Someone told it to me that Bill Monroe, they had this big suitcase, and they'd go into one of these white hotels, white only hotels, and D. Ford would get in the suitcase. Oh, Nick, and they'd carry yeah, him up to, he was a short guy. Yeah, he was a short guy. He was yeah, he was a small statue guy. And they would carry him up to whatever room. I'm not quite sure how they worked it out, but that's how they got him in these better hotels. That's funny. I, I learned. Um, he had a couple of really tricks, and you couldn't see them because they were on the radio, but I learned about them. He used, like, megaphones sometimes with his harmonicas, and uh, then I I, I, I met a, a, a harmonica player, Peg Leg Sam, who was a uh, harmonica player, but he was a, 
medicine show performer. He had a peg leg, and he would get out there and, and play harmonica. And it was a similar style. He had a fox chase-type style with a little different whack to it. And uh, so, yeah, that's and he had a bunch of tricks, which I've used over the years. He, he would use uh, cups or something like like trombone players do over their stuff and all yeah yeah, yeah yeah which was really cool i think harmonica is like banjo it's just deep you go back yeah to history and it is and it goes back a long ways really you yeah, know and I'm sure and uh, unfortunately though i think the best harmonicas are made in germany horner <laughs> horner i mean i mean truthfully i've, I've played them all and horner's still the best i mean you know they make some really fine harmonicas these days, though. High-end yeah. makes it easy for everybody to play. Don't have to be in reeds quite as much. So, right. but. I'll play you. I'll play you something by um, uh, Gus Cannon, black banjo player. Are you familiar with him? No. You know the tune "Walk Right In" by the Rooftop. Yes, Warriors? I do. He wrote yes. that tune. He was <laughs> really? Black banjo player recorded in 1928. He was out in Memphis, Tennessee. It was the Cannon Jug Stompers, and then it was uh, there was the Memphis Jug Band. It was sort of a hotbed of jug band music. And Gus Cannon was a banjo player, kind of had this almost ragtime style. I transcribed a couple of his things, and he played jug and banjo. And how did he play jug? I have no he idea. He had a harmonica rack, like a Bob Dylan harmonica rack, right. with a jug in it. And yeah, so he would do that. Wow. But I'll play two of his tunes. I'd drop C tuning. Straight up ragtime. Now check this out. Yeah. What does that remind you of? All that. Well, it's 1928. Well, go ahead, 30 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's exactly the same. It rhythm. is. And it's exactly the right same right hand. Pretty much. In other words, it's. Earl did single note pinch, right. single note pinch, alternating single notes and pinch, and Gus Cannon single note pinch, single note pinch, alternating completely single note and pinch. Same exact rhythm. Boom, bop, 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 boom, bop, 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 bop. You probably do not think that he's heard that. I mean, I doubt it. I did, and I never thought to ask him, but. It's amazing. But it is amazing if had he not, 
the similarity. I mean, how does that? It's not just the rhythm, but the right hand. The right. Single note pinch, single note pinch. That's, single that, pinch. that is just, uh, that is wow. There again, um, it makes you wonder how all, all stuff comes about like that, too. It's all you know? one big family. It all is one, one big, big family. family. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, I've, I have music friends who are all about the, um, you know, it's all in the vibration, you know, and that everything in the world is connected through vibrations, which I used to kind of scoff at, but the older I get, the more I believe it. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. we're all in this together. Yeah. Which we could all remember that. Yeah, I don't think we do much. Family. We're all on this earth at the same time trying to get through. Well, one of the beautiful things is music is that, that connector really most of the people I have met in the music business are they're good people you know and I've enjoyed being around them I'm uncomfortable I'll I'll be truthful with you I have a bit of social anxiety around non-musicians I've spent my life around them and they're they're uh, you get used to them they're they're creative they're smart they uh, have a good sense of humor so uh, that is one of the things that if more people were like musicians, you know, maybe it'd be a better world. Yeah, I won't yeah. argue with you. You know, so, I mean, lots right. of good folks there's lots of good folks. And, and, and when you go through, you've been as long as I have, you can make a short list of people that are nasty and bad, you know, but it's a short list. It's a really short list. You know, and, and uh, that's something to be proud of. Yeah, and they've got however they grew up or whatever happened in their life to make them that way. Sure. It's, they're suffering too. So. And then sometimes you just catch them on a bad day too. I mean, or that also. You yeah. know, I mean that happens with everybody, but you know, for the most for the most part, the relationships I've had, I've, I've had through music have been the the best I've ever had. Same here. So, best friends are musicians. Sure, that too, of course. But yeah, yeah, so. I do too. But my, but but music is the music. and and those that are that aren't musicians are are big music lovers also. There is that, yeah. And and that that you know, I mean, it's been it's a big part I know of your life and my life, and it's a yeah. wonderful too. At how old are you now? Fifty. Uh, Fifty. What am I saying? <laughs> Seventy-four. Seventy-four. Well, we're well. We're pretty close to the same age. I'm seventy-two. Okay. So we're lucky. You know, I still think I still thank my lucky stars that I get to play music, get to play music out, and and yeah. still get to do it at at my age. Me too. You know, Me too. and, and a lot I, of people just you know, and I played with it. and I played with a lot of people who just left it. You know, yeah. find musicians who left it I, for whatever reasons at earlier ages. And I'm just tickled to death that I still get to do it. I know. You're very lucky. I mean, and, and hopefully I saw, I saw, and it seemed ancient to me, I saw Stephen Capelli one time when he was 75, yeah. and I thought he was fabulous. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that, that was one of my whole thoughts is if I could just be lucky enough to still be playing. I don't have to play as well as he did, yeah. but if I could still be playing at that age, I'd be tickled to death. Earl was. In, in yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you know, or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes um, you can play music when other facilities are leaving you, and that's a wonderful thing. I saw Earl again at BB King's, and for the encore, he did Ruben. Mm. And the rest of the band hadn't even come out yet. He was like so hot to play, he just came right. by himself, and they followed after him. He started playing, and they were picking up their instruments still. And yeah. 
and he just hit it. And you know, yeah, he wasn't what he was in. Sure, you know, but I'm not sure. He just hit Ruben, and that sound was there, and he just killed it. He just killed Ruben. It was oh. just unbelievable. I'm not sure we're all at, at, after a certain point. What uh, I kid myself and use a, uh, a a side stage name sometimes used to be. You know, I, I I used I used to be pretty good at this. You know, what you have now is just a close facsimile, but that's that's good enough a lot of times. Yeah, you know, Earl could still. Yeah, he could still. And on these tapes, he's playing really fast, really. Fast. Well, now he could play really fast. I, I mean, know. we're doing this Earl Scruggs review set tomorrow. Yeah, and I was working on the tunes last night. I just get them in my fingers. I mean, there's certain straight head things like Earl's Breakdown, right? Yeah, Sally Good, and I was checking out the tempo. He's playing these things faster than I can comfortably play now. Of course, they were playing a lot. In the yeah. He was younger. He was True, he was. Yeah, he was probably. Like 70. Yeah, so. so he would have been, 50s-ish. yeah, 50-ish, which, which is a good age. Maybe a little bit more, 40s, 50s. Yeah. 40, 50, that's a prime, really, age for, for musicians. It's not like um, with athletes or something. That 40 to 50 age is the one where you, you've got the whole package and it's all working. and you've got everything you've learned. Yeah. He was killing it. And in these live, I mean, these tapes with John Hartford, he's playing stuff really fast, yeah. really fast. Just who, who else playing with you uh, tomorrow? Well, Michael Cleveland is our fiddle player du jour. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Ridiculous. A guy named Michael Daves. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh Michael's playing with Michael's you? Michael's with us, yeah. He's As, singing and playing guitar. Listen, one of the things I've never seen, uh, uh, Michael and Chris Thilly, Yeah. I, I, I would uh, – you know, I've always wanted to say I've never seen them together live. Which... They hardly they haven't played in years, but they did a benefit a few months ago. There's a place in New York City called the Rockwood, uh, which is a, they've got three stages in the place that's in Lower Manhattan, and you know they really got hurt by COVID, and they they may be closing their doors. Oh. But it's a really good place for musicians to play. And we play there, you know, just for local gigs once in a while. You know, Michael has had a residency there for years and so he and Chris got together to do a uh, benefit for it they did two I think they only did one show but they raised some money you know it's Chris feeling yeah really yeah. so, uh, so they did. And that's one of the only shows they've done recently that I know of it well, I, yeah. I, I, not bad yeah that's good that is good You he, I, so far who else I mean you that's, you loaded up well that, that's it and then a guy named uh Jared Engel on bass. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. He's really good. So it's a four piece, yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's going to be good. Yeah, no no interview tomorrow during that time. <laughs> I'm coming to watch that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're just we're rehearsing tonight. Plus, we're doing this Earl Scruggs Review show at 3 30. Right. And we have all these special guests sitting in for various bands. Right. And so we have. It's going to be kind of, tomorrow's going to be kind of crazy. We're doing our set, and then we go immediately into rehearsing with everyone else, uh, people we've never met before. Right. We have 10 minutes per person or per grouping of people to do, go through all 10 songs and figure it out, and then walk on stage at 3 30 and. Yeah, but, but everybody's a pro. Out. Yeah, I mean, everybody's a pro, and it's music, and yeah. non musicians are always baffled how. Have y'all never played before? No, we've never played together before, but we've all played this music, you know. Yeah. So, well, I'm so. baffled myself, but it's going to work it, out. It, it is kind of magic. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of magic. Oh, yeah. oh. If You think you could talk Michael into coming over here and doing a podcast? It would have to be later tomorrow. Cause That's fine. As soon as he gets here, we're going to be rehearsing our That's fine. all day tomorrow. But 
Yeah. After the after that show, I'm sure he, I'd love I, I to speak for him. But right. I imagine he'd love to talk. I'll try. To you. I'll try to get. They use the girls over there, but if I can go around them, usually I do just because I'm a better one-on-one person, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And so yeah, it would be great. Yeah. This has been great. Thank you for coming Thank and doing you, this. Sandy. Pardon my picks. No, I know. I, that's fine. Great talking to you. Great also. talking Thank to you, you too.